0: Hello and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by The Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following sermon is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at The Tabernacle and was recorded during our Sunday morning service. To view the entirety of our service, please visit our Facebook page at The Tabernacle Family or our YouTube channel at The Tabernacle Today. Additional information about The Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today.
1: Amen. Do you all believe in that principle? It's in the Bible. You reap what you sow. What goes around comes around. That just happened to me. <laughs> I can't tell you the number of times Elizabeth and I have done a funeral together and I put her up to sing before I speak, but before she goes on, there's this share time, open share time where people can share stuff and people say things about the person and about, you know, our faith and things, and it just makes you blubber and cry and you need time to process. And then uh a number of times we've done one of those, and then Elizabeth has to get up and sing. She says, You always do that to me well it just came back around on me goodness that song with its message and the way it was beautifully delivered to us by the davis there i just want to stop now and think about that for about twenty minutes and here i am and it's time to speak but i thank you guys for that and it just is a reminder that um... you know the tale of two cities uh... the classic work um... said that it starts by saying it was the best of times it was the worst of times and sometimes christmas is like that it has all the joy and all the means for celebrating that we often think of but also somebody's missing so we're sad and uh... there's a lot of stressors in addition to everything else everyone wants offerings and donations and things during christmas time and you're buying those presents and you're wondering if you're gonna make it to january and that sort of thing and so that song really brought that alive for us well author charlie wetzel has written more than five hundred original stories for John Maxwell's books. I love the John Maxwell books, just good things on communication and leadership. And he has all kinds of great stories in there. Well, Charlie Wetzel often writes those stories and he writes them based on history, business, sports, government, popular culture. And he's such a good storyteller and writer that one time his son's second grade teacher came to him and said, will you come and teach these second graders how to write a story? So let me ask you the question, what would you tell a group of 26th and 7th graders are essential to storytelling, the most basic parts of getting a story across? Well here's what Charlie Wetzel uh, said to those second graders, every good story has a hero, a goal, a conflict, and a resolution. And we see all of those elements perfectly displayed in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the ultimate true story for the world. In fact, anytime you like one of those marvel comic superhero stories or things like that often if you look at the elements they are basically presenting a flawed human as someone who saves the world when they really can't in a way that lasts forever that will get people eternal life whereas Jesus did and so our story is the best story because it's the true story and it's the story that makes all other stories pop when told Well. We also see them in the heroic actions. There's heroes when we look at the Christmas story. We think of Joseph and Mary in that first Christmas. There's something special about a man, a woman, and a baby, isn't there? Uh, Hopefully, uh, around Christmas sometime during this week or two, you'll get to be around someone that's got a new baby there. There's something special about a man, a woman, and a baby. And the greatest true story of all time includes a man, a woman, and the baby, the Son of God, who became the son of man so children of men could become children of god well i didn't tell you to but turn to matthew chapter one we're in matthew chapter one verses 18 through 25 the christmas story told wonderfully in matthew's gospel and luke's gospel and then the theological uh, version of it's told in john's gospel the word became flesh god became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory glory as a one and only Son of God. Matthew 1 verses 18 through 25, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed or engaged to Joseph, before they came together she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, a righteous man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Lord, we thank you so much for Christmas. We thank you so much for this year, Christmas Eve falling on a Sunday and the opportunity we have to come together and talk about Jesus, the reason for the season, Jesus, the reason for our hope, the light of the world, the bread of life, the son of God who became the son of man. We thank you so much for Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, you could have left us as people on the way to hell because of our sins, but instead you partook of the ultimate rescue mission, coming down here and doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. You were perfect and sinless and righteous enough to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Being under the law meant for us being sinners who had fallen short of your glory We thank you that you came down and because of your virgin birth, you didn't have a sin nature and then you never made any sin choices during your life. You were perfect and sinless and that made you able to be like a substitute lamb of old, shedding your blood for the punishment due sinners except because you're God and came to earth, your sacrifice wasn't just a over and over again sacrifice like those old lamb sacrifices. Your sacrifice was one that could count forever for all those who are humble enough to realize their need and embrace your salvation. Your very name means God saves, and we thank you for that. And thank you for Christmas, Lord God. Whatever else happens in the next 48 hours for us, may we celebrate the eternal life we have because of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Well, folks, here we are on Christmas Eve, and I wonder if there's anything that you're anxious about this Christmas. We've talked about it already, how it can be an anxious time. And it may be related to finances, like the song said. It may be related to family dynamics. Every family's got some of those, you know. And uh, things that you're worried about, about people getting along and where you're going to put them at the table or, you know, with the kids' table or whatever. Uh, Maybe some fresh grief over the loss of a loved one recently, the corporate impact for our church of losing 25 of our people during the year uh, makes it a very sad and somber time even as we celebrate uh, sometime uh, this last week. I thought of all 25 of the ones that we've uh, sent on to heaven this year. And uh, it makes you sad, it makes you happy for them, sad for us, for the believer to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. So we grieve, but not as those who have no hope, but it's still hard. Maybe it's concern over what's happening in the world. There's a whole lot happening in the world. If you haven't turned off the 24-hour news stations in the last week, it's all still fresh and right on you, and you're agitated about things happening all over the place, things happening in America, and it just is right at the forefront of you. The earthly parents of Jesus, here's the good news, can relate to, definitely relate to anxiety that first Christmas. And so our first point in this simple Christmas message is the Christmas story includes anxious parents. Look again at verses 18 and 19 there. It says the birth of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. Christ is, comes from the Greek for the Messiah. It means anointed one, the one Israel looked forward to. They expected him to be a conquering king and also a one who'd be a suffering servant but there were more prophecies about him being a conquering king and for a people who had been occupied at that point for six seven hundred years they really wanted to be free of their current oppressor it was Rome and so they wanted to be literal about those prophecies but they wanted to spiritualize the ones about the messiah suffering in fact the way they thought about it is Israel suffers then the messiah will reign and rule and yet the prophecy said that all we like sheep have gone astray. The Lord has laid the iniquity of us all on him. It talked about a Messiah figure who would bear the sins of Israel and the world. And he would be a light to the Gentile nations too. And so they spiritualized the suffering part for the Christ and they physicalized the conquering king passages. Today, our problem is reverse. We are very grateful that Christ physically died for our sins. We have a problem believing he really will rule and reign when he comes back. And yet, the key for all of us is to believe all the prophecies. And uh, you, know, you say, well, a lot of those prophecies, Danny, look like they would happen at the same time that he would suffer and then rule. And I don't want to blow your minds too much, but I am among those scholars who believes that had Israel, had that generation in that time accepted Christ, he would have gone from the cross to ruling when he, when he um, uh, raised from the dead. Rome still would have crucified him and he would have reigned right then and we had gone on to the golden age the Bible describes. That got delayed when he was rejected by that generation. So in every generation Christ saves, but there is a time to come when Christ will reign and rule on earth and I believe it all, every bit of it. But the Christmas story includes anxious parents. It said the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quickly, divorce her quietly. Think about all those anxious thoughts that Joseph was having and all those feelings he had to deal with. Mary had them also but she had already dealt with her anxious thoughts and feelings because over in Luke's Gospel we learn that Mary had already learned from the angel Gabriel uh, that she had been selected to fulfill the virgin birth prophecy of Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 so she had already been touched by an angel she had an encounter with an angel that had told her she was pregnant with the messiah and that was going to she was going to be pregnant with the messiah that was going to fulfill prophecy he had also given her a way to confirm it he said mary your uh, relative elizabeth is pregnant and so she went with haste to the hill country of judea and she was able to confirm she walked in and you perhaps have heard the story john the baptist was inside the belly of elizabeth And he leapt with joy when the mother of his Lord was in the room. And uh, I preached a sermon one time, the lesser baby leaps. And Jesus makes us leap with joy. And John the Baptist did it even before he was born when he was in his mother's womb there. But after that is when Mary sang her beautiful song where she was embracing God's plan. She had been anxious, she'd gotten her questions answered, and she sang the beautiful song that's in Luke that you may wanna read later tonight or tomorrow as part of your Christmas uh, time of observance. Now, we read in Luke that she had stayed with Elizabeth for three months before going back to Nazareth. And by then, when she went back, she probably was just starting to show And think about the anxiousness she had. She wondered, uh, will Joseph believe her? I mean, Joseph's a godly man. He loves the Lord. He's a righteous man. Surely he'll be excited that the Bible's coming to life in our romance story. Um, So, Matthew's gospel here answers that for us. Did he believe her? No, he didn't. When she told him she was pregnant and God did it, he didn't believe her and we'd have struggled to believe her too. You know, Matthew's gospel uh, really fulfills Joseph's part of it. We've already seen the genealogy through Matthew work down through verses one through 17 and how Christ had the legal ability to be that Messiah. And so now we're looking at his uh, divine, the divine side of the story, God becoming human. So legally through the human line, it came up to uh, Matthew there and uh, Matthew brought it all the way down to Joseph, the earthly dad of Jesus, and here we're learning the spiritual things behind the virgin birth there. The way marriage worked in those days was that there was first an engagement ceremony. So, two families would come together, they'd agree to terms, maybe there'd be a dowry of some kind given and they'd come to terms and say, okay, this is going to happen. From that point on, they were legally considered married. But the husband, the bridegroom, he would go back to his place and he would begin building on to the family home and uh, or near there or in the same city somewhere because he usually lived there. Sometimes they were both in the same city. But anyway, he'd go and get ready where he was going to bring his bride to. And only when he thought it was ready would he go get his bride. There'd be that wonderful time of celebrating and dancing and all that stuff. And then he'd bring his bride back to the place that he had prepared for her. Makes you think more about John 14, doesn't it? Because the church is called the bride of Christ what did Jesus say in John 14 I'm going away to prepare a place for you but if I go away I'm gonna come back I'm gonna receive you to myself that where I am you may always be and so uh, she was supposed to get ready where she was and be completely faithful and pure in her keeping of her vows he was to be faithful where he was being pure and faithful to his vows the day would come that they would come together and only after that the baby making would happen so when Mary came back pregnant Joseph could only conclude she'd been unfaithful. He, that's, all, that's the only thing you could conclude, right? He had not been with her, so someone else must have been. And historically, that was punishable by what? Stoning. Uh, you see A couple examples of it in the scriptures where people actually were stoned to death as they were in one of the sins that called for stoning as punishment. And that could have happened even though they were under Roman rule. They could do that so fast Rome wouldn't know anything about it until it was over. Shame, scandal, and possible stoning awaited Mary. Even later in John's gospel we see Jesus is accused of being an illegitimate child by his critics looking for dirt. Now, thank the Lord in heaven's eyes, there's no such thing as an illegitimate child. There's no such thing as an oops. God has a purpose and plan for everyone. And Matthew's genealogy has already recorded three or four of those stories in the life of Jesus. Uh, You know, all that great extended manger scene that comes up, all the relatives coming up to that time. And maybe, just maybe... Uh, Matthew included those in part because of the scandal that went on for years. Is Joseph really the dad of Jesus isn't there some circumstances when the Pharisees were looking for dirt they sent their gossip mongers to Nazareth there and talked and interviewed the people and the neighbors said well I don't wanna say anything but she was pregnant before they actually got married and all those different things and so they had to deal with that forever on after that I'm so glad that Mary didn't abort Jesus aren't you Um, she could have said there is a way to solve this I don't have to go back pregnant And she could have done something to take care of that on the way. Joseph didn't want death for Mary... For him it was enough to quietly divorce Mary and get on with his life with a broken heart. So I'm so glad that on the one hand she heroically went back to Nazareth ready to deal with the stigma and the shame and whether or not Joseph would accept his role in this amazing thing that was happening. And she's a real hero for doing that. And I'm glad that Joseph was a loving man who didn't legalistically call that crowd together And throw the first stone at Mary, killing her and the baby growing inside. So our heroes had a big conflict to resolve. We have anxious parents. And if you've got anxiety today about any number of things, realize that you can cast your cares upon this Lord Jesus. For he cares for you. You can draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. You can humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and what will he do? He will lift you up. Beautiful promises from the scripture. So the Christmas story includes anxious parents, but it also includes angels making proclamations, angels proclaiming. And so we see in verses 20, 21, it says, as he considered these things, that itself is a sermon, isn't it? He was thinking, he was praying, he was saying, Lord, what should I do? I don't want to act rashly. Lord, help me. I'm considering these things. And it says, behold, say behold. Behold behold an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream I think it was also Gabriel probably the text doesn't say saying Joseph son of David do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from God the Holy Spirit she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus what will he do? he will save his people from their sins now we know Gabriel had already appeared to Mary now let's just stop for a minute. Wouldn't it have been helpful if the angel had appeared to both Joseph and Mary at the same time? It would have been, wouldn't it? But we read in the scriptures and we hear that the Lord works in mysterious ways. He did it then, he does it now. And the Lord often allows tests to come into our lives to see if we're truly yielded to him. Mary had to go through her time of wrenching that anxiety and working it out as she prayed and interacted with the Lord. And Joseph would have to do that same thing. Will he obey? Will he do his part? And some of you want so desperately for your loved one to have the same experience with the Lord that you've had that will change everything. And, and, and you know what Jesus has done in your heart and forgiving your sins and giving you that place in heaven. And you just wish that your, your parents, you just wish that your spouse, you just wish that your children and grandchildren could understand what you understand. And, and if they had been with you when you had that mountaintop experience with the Lord, when God did that work in your life, when you understood what a sinner you are but what a Savior he is, and you turned to him, and you just wish that they could have that time, too. And all we can do is pray for that to happen. All Mary could do for Joseph was pray for God to deal with him like he had dealt with her. That, and thank the Lord, he did. And he often does in response to prayers. Many saints over the years have testified to me, I could, I could run away from everything except mama's prayers. I could run away from everything except mama's prayers and you know I think about all the way back to the great story of Saint Augustine who was a 36 year old man living out of wedlock and had a child out of wedlock and he'd been in this cult and that cult and looked for love in all the wrong places and he was such a smart man that he thought he was too smart for the Christian the simplicity of the gospel story but his mother Monica prayed and prayed and prayed and loved and loved and loved and, Sometimes pestered and pestered and pestered. (laughs) But the day came when St. Augustine was saved. Before he was St. Augustine, that only came after he was a saint. Just like St. Danny only came after turning to the Lord. It's the Lord that makes us saints, not what we do. And he went on to be one of the key figures in church history. And he said, I could outrun everything except Monica's prayers. Mama's prayers. It says that our hero Joseph was thoughtfully and I believe that includes prayerfully considering what he should do and he fell asleep and God's answer came in a dream it says the angel appeared to him and told him what Mary had told him right (laughs) the angel says to him what Mary had been told and also told him what to call the baby when he came what was he to name the baby Jesus Yeshua Jesus Jesus means God saves and yes he does amen If ever a name fit, that one fits there. We saw last week that Jeconiah, Jeremiah was so disgusted with his sin, he took God out of his name. He said, get God out of your name, Jeconiah. I'm gonna call you Coniah because Jehovah doesn't need to be in your name. And God's in my name too, Daniel. But for many years, I didn't deserve to have any part of God in my name. And now I'm so thankful that instead of my parents naming me Kenneth George, which they thought about, they named me Daniel Joseph, two of the Bible's great names. Jesus means God saves, and yes, he does. Now, I don't know if you've ever had an encounter with an angel before. Johnny Mitchell has a couple interesting maybe encounter with angel stories, and he'll tell you those later if you ask him. You might have one too, but Hebrews 13.2 tells us that if we are hospitable people, if we show hospitality to strangers, if all of a sudden we stop and say, that person needs some help and we help them, It may be that over time, one of the things that will happen is we will encounter angels unaware, angels in disguise, angels looking much like humans, and that's pretty cool to think about. But we read in the Bible of many times an angel came to a person like comes to Joseph here, and it often follows a similar formula. Usually angels do appear to saints of God, those who already love the Lord, and if you ever have an encounter with an angel, they'll probably start by telling you to fear not. Do not fear, Joseph. Fear not. And that's oftentimes because if an angel showed up to us, we'd probably drop in fear <laughs> and inability to speak or whatever. But oftentimes it's because God is looking out for his people and he knows that we're concerned and anxious and fretful and worrying about so many different things. And so he's bringing us a message from heaven You're afraid, fear not. Cast your care on the Lord, for he cares for you. To a believer trying to process what God is calling to them to do, do, angels came and they usually said, fear not. You know what the next thing they usually said is? God is with you. He's with you in a spiritual way. Sometimes he's with you in a physical help way in some kind. Don't fear. God's got this. God is with you. God's going to help you. And then the person they talked to was encouraged to obey God in the matter he was speaking to them about. Now. If you are anxious about a matter of obedience, for some it's as simple as, I have trusted Christ, but I'm afraid to publicly express it through baptism. You know that's what a new believer does. You've just been fearful of that. And yet, uh, once you check that off and do in obedience to the Lord, it sets you up for a lifetime of obedience in all the other areas he's gonna call you to. Some people wonder if they can do that in relationship to any number of areas. And God, through his word, makes something clear, like not to be unequally yoked in a relationship, believer and unbeliever, or he says other things, you know. And it's clear from his word what you're to do. If you're anxious about a matter of obedience, and like Joseph, considering all the what ifs and what nows, fear not know God is with you and that the resources of heaven are available to help children of God as they walk by faith. It's as true now as it was then. When you settle your heart before the Lord, when you pray and say, I'd rather be faithful to you, even if that means that I don't get what I think I need or I don't get it now and I'm still in this waiting with you, it is much better to experience some loneliness on a Friday night than find yourself in disobedience against the Lord and dealing with consequences of sinful actions. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, uh, look what happens next. You got anxious parents. You got angels pronouncing. The Christmas story also includes ancient prophecies. Look at verses 22 and 23. This is pretty cool. I can tell you I have read a lot of the religious works of the world and there's really not... uh, prophecies that were made in advance like there are in the bible things that were said hundreds even thousands of years before that pointed forward Wednesday night this past Wednesday night I did my teaching it was two Wednesday nights ago or was it Sunday night? it was Sunday night Sunday night I did that teaching one in a trillion that I love to do how you start with all the beings that have ever existed and then we know the prophecies said that the messiah would be a human well that cuts it down to a hundred billion or so humans that have ever lived And then we're told in Genesis 3, he'll be a male human. So you cut the number in half, because half the number of humans ever have been male, 50 billion. And then of all the nations of the world, we're told that the Messiah would come from the people of Israel. Could have been from any other one, but in the way it unfolded, it's the people of Israel. And that cut it down significantly. Then we're told that the Messiah would have to be from one, there's 13 tribes in Israel when you count Levi. It would come from the tri- he would come from the tribe of Judah. So that cut things down significantly. And then we were told in Micah's great prophecy that the Messiah would have to come from somebody who lived in a little town. What little town? The little town of Bethlehem within Judah. And then we were told that among those who have ever been born in Bethlehem, the child would have to be a descendant of what great king? King David. Well, they brought it down to just a few possible people. The book of Daniel gives a remarkably specific prophecy that said this same person would have to be executed in the 30s AD, when you count the years back from when Daniel made the prophecy. And then, to narrow it all the way down, we have the prophecy here that the Messiah would also be born of a virgin. Jesus is one in a trillion, amen? All those different things were happening here. And so, it says here that all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin will conceive, bear a son, you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. One thing I wonder as I look at this reference, this 800-year-old prophecy, is whether Matthew refers to the prophecy as an editorial comment. Did he just add it because we know that's the case? Or was it because the angel actually quoted it to Matthew? Now when you read a text carefully, sometimes there's a clue there that helps tip it for you. And I think that the angel said this to to Joseph right there in that dream that he was having. Why do I think that? Because the next thing it says is Joseph awake and did what the angel said. So I think that was in there, Um, which is pretty cool. So the Isaiah prophecy. I wonder if Joseph was processing that. Okay, I've just heard an angel tell me the same thing that Mary's told me. Mary is not a liar. She's never really lied. I'm thoughtfully considering these things. Mary is going to be a great wife for me. My question's always been whether I'd be a good enough husband for her. And, And she told me this outlandish story, but she related it back to the ancient prophecy. Now, here is... This angel, and he's telling me the same thing that an angel told Mary. Maybe it was him that told Mary. So I'm thoughtfully considering this. And then it clicked. Have you ever had a Bible verse just click for you? It clicked for you. Oh yeah, back in Isaiah, it said, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a child and you shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Joseph thought, why not Mary? Surely she's the kind of godly young woman that God would do this for. The question for Joseph wasn't, why not Mary then? It was, how can I possibly be the stepdad to the son of God? And so the next verses tell us he immediately got up and did what it said. But, you know, this also leads us back to a biblical principle. When we do think God is calling us to do something, we need to check it out using the Bible as our evaluation tool. He'll sometimes say very specific things to us. Lord, do you want me to get ahead by telling a lie or by cheating? No, you can find the verses that say don't do that. Lord, do you want me to commit adultery with another person's spouse? No, he doesn't want you to do that. There'll be consequences. He can bless messes as we go forward, but it's always gonna be true, you're gonna have to go back and repent for the sin that was sin, even if you're married to that person now and God's given you a good life together, you still have to repent of the sin to get God's hand of blessing back on you going forward. Sometimes people can't process that, but our big God can, he sure can. Sometimes people have a baby out of wedlock and the baby is not an oops, not a mistake, it's God's plan. And that baby comes into the world those that were in fornication sin or adultery sin at the time still need to go back and repent over the sin. not saying the baby's a sin, the baby's not. God's big enough to handle all that. But we've got to get our hearts right with God, amen? And we do that through confession. We do that through repentance. Some of your relationships started. You're married now, but it started by living together outside of wedlock, and there's still consequences because of that. And you need to go back and repent of the sin, or if you're in that sin, you need to make it right so God can bless you. We need to use the Bible as our evaluation tool. You know, the Bible is very clear that one of the things Christians do is fear God. We revere God, we care more what he thinks than anybody else thinks. And we're living in a world that sits in judgment of God, that sits in judgment of the Bible, that sits in judgment of the truths. But that's like trying to, (laughs) you're hitting a rock is what you're doing, an anvil that cannot break you're gonna break yourself button your head up against the anvil before you're gonna break the anvil God's truth will stand and there will be consequences so repent from Joseph we learned that when we're anxious we're not to act rationally instead we're to thoughtfully pray over and process biblically matters before us our first concern needs to be God's glory not personal embarrassment Oh, for 2024 to be the year where everybody that hears my voice lives In everything for God's glory, whether it's going to embarrass you personally or not. If we could love like Jesus when people embarrass others around us, but we're going to love them like Jesus instead of being embarrassed. Oh, if we can do that in 2024, it'll be a great year for our church and for us as individuals. Because our heroes, Joseph and Mary, acted in faith and obedience, setting aside any sense of shame, scandal, personal embarrassment, God used them to care for and protect the Christ child during his formative years. And that leads us down the home stretch, verses 24 and 25. The wonder of the birth Christmas. Christmas is here. It's Christmas. Christ is in the name the Roman Catholic Church, Christmas, Christ Mass. So the reason why we call it Christmas is the Mass, the service celebrating Christ, the birthday of Jesus Christ. Well, thank the Lord, we celebrate Christ every Sunday here, amen? So in a sense, every service is Christmas because we're celebrating different aspects of his working in our lives. And then once a year, sometimes like this year, all three or four Sundays we've been celebrating uh, what all that Christmas means because Christmas leads to the cradle, leads to the cross, leads to his crown, and then we crown him as Lord and King of our lives. Verses 24 and 25, it says, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. I'm so glad it doesn't say when Joseph woke from sleep, he kept on thinking about it because he couldn't make a decision. I'm so glad it doesn't say when he woke, he said, I don't care, I don't wanna be embarrassed and this embarrasses me. I'm gonna reject what God's saying to me. He said, no, I've got truth before me to act on and so it says when he woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Darby, it's really nothing to sneeze at. (laughs) He took his wife, it says, but knew her not. You all know what that means. They did not have sexual intercourse. He knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. And Jesus does indeed save his people from their sins, doesn't He? For two thousand years, God has drawn to salvation those who have marveled at the wonder of it all. So I just want to speak a few minutes before we all go to our places about the wonder of it all. We know that Jesus was God incarnate. The word incarnation means the in flesh meant. God incarnate means God became flesh. The enfleshment of God who created everything. The author of the play stepped into the story. The creator of all wrote himself into creation. While he was on earth, he showed that he was fully God, didn't he? He showed his omnipotence, that he's all-powerful. He showed that he could make parts of bodies that weren't working work again. He just said it and it happened. He performed miracles everywhere he went. He was able to walk on water. I've never been able to pull that one off. At his command, Peter was able to do it until he took his eyes off Jesus and put them back on the circumstances. But still, he was the only guy that got to walk on water. So we just need a little faith in the big object. Jesus is a big object, amen? He showed that he's all-powerful. Lord of the physical realm, Lord of the spiritual realm. He could command demons to leave people, and they did. He said, the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins and they were forgiven even as he healed people. I just love how he was giving the kind of life everywhere he went that will characterize when he reigns on earth to come. He showed his omniscience. Then to John 2 says, he didn't need somebody to tell him about what somebody else was thinking for he knew what was in a man. Well, that's kind of scary. He knew that Judas was gonna betray him. He knew that Peter was gonna be fickle and yet he loved them relentlessly anyway. Gave them every opportunity to turn back. Peter did, Judas didn't. As for omnipresence, of course, being confined to a human body, he could not be like we know God is everywhere present, but he still showed signs of that while he was on earth. He could be in one place, say the word, and somebody be healed in another. Because, of course, God, the Holy Spirit... He showed in many ways that he was fully God, but he also became fully man. He was 100% God and 100% man, and that blows our mind. We think that adds up to 200%. We think it needs to be somehow 50-50, but God can be fully God and fully man at the same time. I can't do anything like God, but he, if he should choose, can write himself in and voluntarily limit himself. Now, if I was God on earth, I'd have made myself a lot of Big Macs when I was hungry. He never used his deity for personal advantage like that he used it to get out of a few jams so people wouldn't kill him prematurely he used them to help people all around him all the time he's that kind of god he showed his heart he showed the heart of heaven for earth as fully man he showed emotions what did he do when he came into the presence of his friend lazarus's dead body it says he wept shortest verse in the bible jesus wept it's in john 17 and those were tears for some, from someone who knew everything and yet was overwhelmed with the emotions of it at the moment, and so he wept. I hate when at funerals somebody stupidly says to the grieving people, oh, don't cry. Cry! The Bible's okay with all those emotions being shared. This is the time to lament, to grieve. We don't grieve as those who have no hope. Oh, don't cry. Cry! Jesus did when he was on earth and was around death. He showed disgust at how the Pharisees legalist, legalistically obeyed without love for God and people, the extra dumb rules they put on people that actually changed the nature of things. Like he said, the Son of Man was is Lord of the Sabbath and he had given the Sabbath, the rest day is a great blessing and they put all kinds of extra rules on it that kept it away from the simplicity of worshiping God and getting rest for the new work week in honoring God. But I wonder something, and this is where you're going to wonder if I've lost my mind. I wonder if Jesus, as a full human, also had a touch of wonder about being in a human body. I think he did. I think he did. What are you talking about, Danny? So God becomes man. And he lived the full human experience without sin. I wonder if while he was in that body every once in a while he just looked and said man these hands created everything. And now with my dad Joseph I just created a chair that people are gonna use in their house. I wonder if every time he saw a sunrise or a sunset he didn't just go buy it quickly like we do about all we have to do in the day but I, f- I wonder if he said you know what I remember when we first created everything the angels singing at creation. And look how beautiful that sunset is, that sunrise is. I think he had a wonder of it all. And I think that, you know, one of the things we ask the question is, what would Jesus do? Jesus would have a sense of wonder. I think every time he was around a relative or friend or a baby was born in Bethlehem and they, or Nazareth when they went over to bring a, whatever they brought, you know, honey and uh well, I guess for John the Baptist's birthday every year, they'd uh, get the, uh, honey, the honey and the uh, locusts out, right? The grasshoppers, locusts and stuff and eat them. But I wonder if every time in a family, a new baby would be born. Jesus was, was just there saying, oh God, your plan is so awesome. You know, our plan is so awesome. We created male and female. There's a man, there's a woman, there's a baby. And oh, look at this baby. Once again, God's saying, do it again. Do it again, do it again. And he does it again, sunrises, sunsets, bringing men and women together, babies. And of course, the greatest miracle of all, the new birth. The new birth every time someone turns to him. I think we see a sense of wonder in Jesus' favorite name for himself. Do you know what it is? Somebody tell me what Jesus called himself more than anything else in the four gospels. Wow, we got some scholars here, Eddie. The son of man. He called himself the Son of Man 75 times in the Gospels. By comparison, the 40 things he, other 40 things he calls himself, things like Lord, the Son, the Christ, etc., those add up to 132 occurrences. He was the eternal Son of God. Here he was in human flesh as the Son of Man. And he thought, I'm the Son of Man. <laughs> I'm actually here on earth. I think he had a sense of wonder about the wonderful plan of salvation that Father, Son, and Spirit had made before the time and was now unfolding. I love what he says in Matthew 20, 28. Jesus said, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And that's why I opened up by saying the Son of God became the Son of Man, so children of God men could become children of God. Hey, try to say that with me. Let's try to do it together. The son of God became the son of man so children of men could become children of God. Oh, you got it. Man, you're, you're almost there if you haven't gotten there yet. If you, if you can process that, that that's what this is all about. You know John 3, 16, God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God the Father so loved the world, he sent the Son. God the Son so loved the world, he came. And God the Holy Spirit so loved the world, he <laughs> stayed and he rents hearts of everyone that God is drawing to salvation where they finally turn to him and get his forgiveness, begin their relationship with him, have the Holy Spirit residing inside, and have eternal life. It's explained in the next couple verses after John 3:16. it says, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. The world was already under condemnation because of our sin. Instead, he came to save the world, the ultimate rescue mission of all time. So if you provide the sinner, he'll provide the Savior. The everlasting God became a human through the miracle of the virgin birth. Not, the virgin birth many he didn't have a sin nature like all other children of Adam and Eve have because they sinned, original sin. Sin was put into the gene pool. We see that show up in lots of different ways. On this earth, we suffer sometimes for our own sinful choices. Sometimes we suffer because of the sinful choices of others toward us. Sometimes we suffer just because sin's in the world going all the way back to Adam and Eve and 100% of us will die and we were gonna go to hell except for Christ intervening and doing something about it. He didn't have a sin nature and he made it through this life. The drama of the story was that he had to go all the way through life every time Satan tried to kill him or tempt him or distract him or get him to sin, every time our ability to be saved was at stake. And he made it through every challenge and journey. You know what I love, the story of David and Goliath. You love it too. When David beat Goliath that day, we're told all Israel was victorious because their champion had defeated the Philistine champion. And our champion, Jesus, has defeated Satan. For all who will accept that there's eternal life, you're with him. You're with him forever and ever. 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6 says it like this. There's one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus being God, he represents God to us. Being man, he represents us to God, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. Oh my goodness, Christmas celebrates that proper time. It represents the fullness of time. Here's how Galatians 4 says it When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. Born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The law required a perfect righteousness we fall short of. Guess what? Jesus gave us a perfect righteousness believers can never lose. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. So tomorrow, we all get to celebrate Jesus Christ's birth. We'd love to celebrate your new birth today. At Christmas time, we receive and we give gifts. Won't you receive Christ today and give yourself to him in return? That's all he asked. It's not much of a gift for him, Danny Campbell. When I was saved, I received him and I gave him me. I didn't know what that meant back then. I didn't know it meant following him it would mean obeying what he told me to do even as imperfectly as I do. My salvation being kept wouldn't require me to obey perfectly, because he had obeyed perfectly in my place. But if I want to be blessed and live the kind of life he wants me to leave that he can bless and reward one day in heaven, I follow him, I obey his teachings. So at salvation, you get, e- uh, I think about how this is gonna unfold at our house, right? Uh, many times, you know, the kids get all kinds of gifts And the ones that give the gifts get just very little back, right? That ever happened at your house? Some lucky kid's gonna get 17 gifts and dad's gonna get a stinking tie. (laughs) At Christmas time, those who turn to Christ get forgiveness of sins. They get eternal life. They get God the Holy Spirit indwelling them from that time on they get adopted into the family of God they've got crazy brothers and sisters here and around the world for the rest of their life and it goes on and on and on just blessing after blessing after blessing you can't hold all those gifts in your hands and what does he get? he gets us the one who too often doesn't appreciate the gift who too often shakes our fist at seven says God why are you doing this way? and you know what? He's as happy as that parent seeing all their children get the gifts and open them because he's a giver. He's a giver and he wants us with him forever like that. John 1, 12 says, as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. So in a moment I'm gonna say a prayer and if you're not a believer, I invite you to pray the prayer and turn your heart and life over to Christ. Give him, receive from him salvation, give him yourself to be the Lord of your life. But I want to tell everybody else uh, here today, if you are kind of in a backslidden state or you're just, things are not as right with Jesus in your life as they should be, I want to tell you, and some of you have heard this already, about a tree at my house. A couple years back, we had an ice storm. It decimated our trees. We have 18 pin oak trees. During storms, they come down. They come down hard. And uh, one tree in particular, I mean, half the tree came off. It looked pitiful. Didn't it, Elizabeth? It looked just pitiful. We picked up 50, David Thompson helped me, we picked up 50 truckloads of limbs and moved them to be burned uh, in the side yard. And a lot of them were from that tree. And David said, Danny, you ought to take that tree down. I didn't have the heart to take the tree down. The roots looked good, all the different things about it. And I'm glad we didn't because it's become my favorite tree. It's still not the best looking tree in our yard, but do you know what happens with pin oak trees? the branches grow toward the light some some people said tear the tree down but ever since those little branches have been growing toward the light and it's about two-thirds of the way filled back in now you can come to my house and see it and it's become my favorite tree because I have no doubt it's gonna fill itself back in and it's gonna go through all the normal things of uh, limbs dropping off and limbs forming and all that different stuff and many of you as a believer, you believed years ago and, and nobody can talk you out of the fact that you are or aren't saved and that sort of thing, but the state of you in December of 2023 is you feel like that tree with half the things off and, and you just like, I don't know if I can believe. Instead, i have have to make choices to protect myself and you've had conflicts at church and with others and those things and you're just all guarded. You don't enter into the kind of fellowship you could have with others. You don't give and receive forgiveness, all those different things. And it's like half the tree's there. But God's promises remain true forever and ever. Amen? So the moment you say, Lord, I'm just sick of me, and I want to grow toward the light again. I just want to start reading my Bible again in this coming year, and when I see something, do what it says instead of arguing myself out of it. I want to be like Joseph who acted on what he knew when he came out of that dream. Lord, I want to come out of this service, and I want to commit to this year acting on your truth and growing back toward the light and you filling in all the disappointments, all the shards that are, all the ugliness of what my life has become. You fill it back in, Lord. I trust you to do that. Will you bow your heads?
0: Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today.